Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group. We focus on providing mediation and collaborative law services. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce. Uh, Today, our guest is Sam Margulies. Sam was one of the first divorce mediators in the country. Beginning in 1979, he helped lead the movement for mediation and helped to found the first state and national divorce mediation organizations. He's written three books and numerous articles on divorce and mediation and has helped thousands of couples negotiate cooperative and amicable settlements. He continues to mediate from his home in Oriental, North Carolina. Sam, I'm so happy to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. And I thought since you've been around for a little while around the mediation block a few times that maybe you could give us some sense of what the early mediation community was like and what was the significance or what was going on in the culture that led you and others to really think of mediation as an option for people? I started practicing law in 1978 and for various reasons soon ended up with a divorce practice. And one of the things that became evident very quickly was that even though most divorces were prepared for a trial, almost no divorces went to trial. And the longer I was in the business, the more I realized that 98 or 99% of all divorces are settled prior to trial. So there was a major disconnect between the notion that people would spend years and tens of thousands of dollars preparing for a trial that everybody except them knew wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And I think the carnage that came from that started to bother a lot of people. Now, that was the time when family therapy as a movement was also beginning. And there were increasing numbers of therapists who were starting to say, hey, wait a minute, this is nuts. Isn't there a way that we can help people get to that settlement without first having to prepare for a trial? I think that was the primary impetus that got, well, certainly that's what got me going. Mm-hmm. And I believe that was one of the dominant things that got other people moving as well. So the questions from the family therapy, excuse me, movement to lawyers, really, to the legal profession, can't we find some way to help these people make a decision and make some find some solutions without heading towards trial? Sure, because they weren't getting a trial anyhow. Right. So it started to appear as a great big scam. Now, I don't think the legal profession was consciously cheating, but you had a $10 billion industry that had a lot to lose if suddenly divorces could be resolved for $2,000 instead of $20,000. So there was a a great deal of resistance. In fact, when I started 
mediating. I was the first mediator in New Jersey, which is where I lived at the time. The family law section of the state bar had serious discussions about bringing disbarment proceedings against me. So it was hot. That is, I don't want to just sort of gloss that over, Sam, because that is a huge statement about how threatened that community must have been at the time. Oh, they were dreadfully threatened. And they also, I mean, it was a war. I mean, for five years, I fought a war in order to be able to mediate. They lied shamelessly about what mediation was and how people were going to get screwed and how everybody was going to not find all those hidden assets that it turns out there are not so many of. It was ferocious. Yeah. And it took a good five years before there started to be a sort of resigned acceptance that this was here to stay. And what were those early clients like? The people who sort of bucked the trend and said, you know, I think we can figure this out with help. Well, you know, I think even before this mediation movement started, in fact, one of the things that happened is that I would get calls from, you know, from friends who had decided to divorce and couldn't I help the two of them work it out. Now, in those days, we didn't even have the vocabulary that we now have about mediation. And so the immediate accusation was that we were engaged in dual representation. But I did manage to help a number of friends and personally saw that this could be done. And it just started to make more and more sense. And so out of that grew this movement that has had its own uneven development. But nevertheless, it's remarkable how many people are now engaged in the process. How many divorcing couples are engaged in the mediation process? Well, I thought at the time when we started that this thing would grow a lot faster. You know, one of the problems with the legal profession is very few lawyers ever took a course on statistics. <laughs> and it is the only profession that does not maintain any empirical data on itself. So we don't know a lot of things. So, for example, I still can't find any reliable statistics on what percentage of couples are using mediation. I have a hunch it's increased, but I suspect maybe 10% at this point because it's still a hard sell. So, you know, I want to stop you right there, because one thing that I want to say is, you know, I'm not a newcomer to the divorce mediation practice. I took my first mediation training in 1990, and I've been mediating since then. And I have noticed over the time of my career that mediation has become a lot more accepted in the language of the litigators in my community, meaning in the early days and even in the you know, early, the first half of the 21st century, you know, first five years of the 21st century, you know, I would get a lot of people coming in saying, I don't like mediation. I've read a lot of badly written mediation agreements. You know, mediation provides sort of second class results. And over the last, I don't know, 15 years, I think that's changed a lot, at least in New York, where I practice. And still, I think there is some misconceptions in the practice in the world about what mediation does and does not do and who it is and is not appropriate for. So let's talk a little bit about that, if you wouldn't mind. Well, let me just comment on what you said. 
I don't practice, well, I stopped practicing conventional law in 1986 and limited my practice to only mediation. So I stopped having cases with other lawyers. I think if, you know, your practice is mixed, you still deal with lawyers a great deal. There are still very many lawyers who never accepted mediation and who still tow the party line that mediation is a very bad thing. Now, if a client happens to go to one of those lawyers for a consult, they're going to hear a lot of very negative stuff about what mediation is. So it really depends who people talk to very early in the process as they think about divorce. I completely agree with that assessment, especially since, I mean, sometimes people might have an idea, this is what I want to do and and hold that strongly. And if they go to talk to a lawyer who says, you don't want to do that, say, well, you're wrong. I do want to do it. But that's not usually the case. Usually the case, at least in my experience, is that people feel very vulnerable around the idea of divorce. They might feel embarrassed about it. They feel very scared about it, anxious about it, angry about it. There's a lot of feelings. And when they go to an expert and that expert says, oh, mediation is bad, however they phrase it, they're just going to kind of go along with that, I think, is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the problem is that most people are woefully ignorant about what divorce is like. Most people have not been through divorce. They've read books and seen TV shows and movies that depict divorce as this struggle and war of attrition. And they think that if they're getting divorced, they have to go engage in this big struggle. So if somebody comes along and says, oh, wait a minute, that's not really the way it is, a lot of people are going to fall back on what they think they know. And there's just a tremendous amount of mythology out there and a tremendous amount of downright ignorance. I mean, very few people, if you ask them, would realize that settlement is the overwhelming norm. That is not a public fact. I know it. That's why, and one of the reasons why I'm on a mission to change how people divorce, because if they did know that, then the question isn't whether or not you're going to settle, it's how. And that's That's a completely different question. And at what cost? Because one of the unnecessary costs of the conventional system in which you prepare for a trial and then settle the case is that when lawyers do discovery, and of course the time spent on discovery constitutes a very large part of legal fees, The lawyer is collecting information to pin down the other guy at trial. Lawyers think in terms of what information do I need to try this case? I believe that about 90% of information gathered in the course of preparing a case for trial is not necessary to settle the case. That the amount of information most people have coming into the divorce is just about what they need to negotiate a settlement. So if you don't know that, then you're going to allow yourself to be sucked into a process in which you're going to spend a great deal of money on discovery that in fact is irrelevant to the process of settling. I think it's worse than irrelevant, actually, Sam. 
I think that it's destructive because the tone, the tone that's taken by that discovery process, by the implication or perhaps the explicit statement that there's something that the other guy is doing wrong or gal, right? That they've somehow overextended themselves or overstepped their rights or, or they've taken advantage of the other person really has a very negative connotation and, and makes what's already a challenging relationship that much worse. Before you respond, I want to remind our listeners that this is Dialogue on Divorce. You're listening to WVOX.com and 1460 AM. We're here alternate Wednesdays from 5 to 530. I'm Catherine Miller, and I'm talking to Sam Margulies. And Sam was one of the first divorce mediators in the country. And we're talking about, well, we're really talking about debunking divorce myths, aren't we, Sam? Mm -hmm. Well, we were talking about unnecessary discovery. There are lawyers who, who I know who on every single case insist that the other side provide five years worth of checks and deposits. Now, in a few cases, that might be relevant, but most people know most of what there is to know about the other side. So for most people, most of the time, it's just unnecessary billing hours. It's also annoying as hell to have to put that stuff together and send it off to your spouse's lawyer. And people tend to blame the spouse yes. for things done by the spouse's lawyer. So the notion of bad faith just breeds yeah. and grows. Absolutely. I've seen that happen over and over again. And I don't litigate anymore. I only do mediation and collaborative law and some negotiated settlement, but no more trial. And even so... You know, no one likes to be questioned by the other person's lawyer. That's never a friendly conversation, and even in collaborative divorce. And so I think this idea that people are more together, even in divorce, than they know. They know what they need to know for the most part. Maybe they have some questions. Maybe they need some clarification. Maybe they need some verification. But they don't need, in the overwhelming majority of cases, the kind of in-depth minutiae of the traditional discovery process. No. I mean, if you look at, at the standard interrogatories some lawyers send out, it's a total waste of time and a colossal waste of money. So, but, you know, the traditional diehards will defend it unto death. There was a study done on professions and personality. And lawyers are the only profession in which pessimism is positively correlated with success. Wow. Um, I mean, very solid research. This, this was not fly by night. And it's remarkable because, you know, the lawyers who see skullduggery everywhere are the ones who are going to spend most of your money on unnecessary discovery. So what would you wish... Sam Margulies, that people who are considering divorce or facing divorce knew about the divorce process other than what you've already said, which is that the overwhelming majority of people who are divorcing settle before trial. What would you want them to know about mediation as they consider their options? Well, I regard mediation as the first option to look at. And one, because it is clearly the most efficient way to do it. And even in my opinion, considerably more efficient than collaborative law. So if you can make mediation work, I think it should be your first stop. Because? Because it's fastest. It's the least costly emotionally. 
it focuses on keeping the parties talking to each other in a new context. I mean, more so than collaborative law, mediation is focused on having the parties talk to each other, which is extremely important because when the process is over, particularly if they have kids, they're going to have to talk to each other. So I think talking through attorneys is plan B if one has choice. So, Well, so let me just ask you this question, Sam Margulies. If somebody's thinking about mediation and they're saying, all right, Sam, all right, Catherine, but, you know, I'm worried about being protected. I'm worried that I don't know what I don't know. I'm worried that somehow I'll be taken advantage of. And I think those are some of the concerns that people have looking at mediation. I think they might be false concerns. I mean, in terms of they obviously they have them, but they're they're not grounded in reality. What do you say to those people? Well, I try to educate people. I mean, there, there are a number of interesting things. For starters, most people who are who we're seeing are middle class. They do not have vast wealth. They do not have the kinds of access to cash that you can use to hide assets. And they don't have very much in the way of issues requiring complicated legal doctrine. So for, I would say, the first 90% right off the bat, the divorce should be a pretty simple process in which you don't need complicated legal research. The second piece of it is that there are pretty well-developed settlement norms in most places. Because divorces don't go to trial and they are negotiated, each case is not so different than each other case. So that I find that what emerges in most jurisdictions are norms so that if you give five experienced lawyers the profile of some garden variety case, I think they all know within a few percent what the outcome is. Now, that's a pretty important concept. Yeah. Because very often the settlement norms are different than the statutes themselves. That's absolutely for, true. For example, if you look at the concept of equitable distribution, equitable distribution as doctrine was developed to not be community property. And when you read the statutes, particularly the early cases, it says explicitly this is not 50-50. In fact, what the judge should do is apply the following 14 criteria. Well, the difficulty is that the judges couldn't do it. It was so complicated that the only way to really apply equitable distribution was to go to trial. So what happened, even though the statute was designed to avoid the notion of community property, there developed a practice that assumes that or creates a presumption that it's going to be a 50-50 division of assets. And the non-50-50 division tends to be a departure from the norm. People don't know that. Yeah. And also in most jurisdictions, well, all states now have child support guidelines. And in most states or in most locations, there are norms for approaching alimony. 
So if this fact was better known, I think there would be less mystery in what the outcome is going to be. And less mystery would, would lead people, I think what you're saying, to quicker resolution because they wouldn't be making up arguments in their head for why it should be different. Of course. I mean, I think, you know, if, if you look at, let's say, a middle-class couple today, where you know, at least, uh, I would say about 70% uh, both parents are employed. Some kind of shared parenting has really become the norm among educated people. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that just as you want time with your kids, if you're going to make it in post-divorce life, you desperately need time off from your children. Absolutely. Not to mention it's better for kids. Yeah. And so who better to provide you with that relief than the other spouse? And more and more often, we're not just talking about visitation rights. We're talking about parenting obligations, which is a totally different spin. Yep. So I almost assume at this point, when a couple with kids comes to talk to me, there's going to be some kind of real shared parenting, barring some notable deficiency on the part of them. Or very unusual circumstances. Absolutely. So the fear people walk around of, oh, I'm afraid my husband is going to take my children away from me. This is like baloney. And yet you still find people walking in and saying, oh, my husband said he's going to take the kids away from me. Well, they come from a place of fear and also because people say things in moments of anger that they don't really mean all the time. Sam Margulies, this is, I just want to give people an opportunity to contact you if they have any questions for you. How could they best do that? Well, I have a website, which is sammargulies.com, and they're welcome to call me any day between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. at 336-669-3141. Great. This is Dialogue on Divorce. This is Catherine Miller. I'm talking to Sam Margulies. We're talking about divorce mediation, some of the myths that people have about understanding the divorce process and the choices that they have early on in the divorce process. And let me ask you this. If you had one thing to say to a couple that came to you and said, Sam, you know, what should we do? What should we consider about our divorce? What's the first thing you'd say? I would say, which I do say, I said the objective is a system in which every member of the family can thrive. You know, we're looking for the most efficient use of resources for everyone in the family. And I do believe that if one person doesn't thrive, none of them thrive. I think that's sage counsel. What if it's only one person? You know, Sam, I want to get divorced. I haven't told my husband yet, and I want to mediate, but what should I say to my husband to convince him to mediate? Well, I have a uh, a video, a three-minute video out. It's on YouTube. It's also on my website, which is how to tell your spouse you want a divorce. It's actually one of the, the, of, of the videos I've made. It's the one that's watched most often. And the key to it is the, is to present the divorce in a way where you are not laying blame. I, I think that's about the time we have. I think that's super advice, though, Sam. Thank you so much for being our guest on Dialogue on Divorce. I really appreciate it. 
は